you're born with two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. That means you should be listening and watching twice as much as you're talking. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 52 of Improv is No Joke podcast. And today's guest is Greg Lanus, who is the Senior Vice President and Division Director of Robert Half Management Resources, a division of Robert Half International. That name may sound familiar because I interviewed Greg back in episode 22 on networking your way to your next job. This interview, we focus on the importance of networking in growing your business. Greg has a very impressive background where he's been with Robert Half for over 30 years. He has earned the Chairman's and President's Club Award status during his tenure. In 2014, Greg became the first person in the history of Robert Half to obtain $20 million in gross margin. Now that takes a great networker to achieve that milestone. We start the interview with a discussion on how he networked his way into the book Flashback by Gary Braver and then turned our attention to business development. Greg provides a number of tips and techniques on how to grow your business through networking. My favorite tips were from his analogies, like the doctor of careers. When he meets with someone, he wants to figure out their pain, like a doctor, understand that pain and how it's affecting their business so he can prescribe the treatment, aka the solution. In other words, he has to park his agenda and listen to the response thoroughly so he can provide the correct solution. The one quote that Greg gave that we all should remember is, it's not about what you do, it's how well you do it. This episode is full of tips and techniques on becoming a better networker to help your clients grow their businesses. I have some exciting news to share with my audience. Listen, learn, and earn. I've partnered with the Maryland Association of CPAs and the Business Learning Institute to bring an exciting new learning opportunity for accounting professionals to earn CPE credits that starts on May 30th. You can earn up to one CPE credit for each completed podcast episode purchased for only $29 through the MACPA and Business Learning Institute self-study website. The podcast episodes are mobile-friendly. Open your browser on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Go to the MACPA Business Learning Institute self-study account and listen to an episode. Take the review and final exam while you're working out or after listening to an episode on your commute to and from work. It's that easy. While all selected Improv is No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the MACPA BLI self-study website are eligible for CPE credit. You can get detailed information by visiting my website at www.petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic. Improv is no joke for CPE on my homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of earning CPE credit. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is no joke, use the improvisation to create positive results in leadership and life for $14.99 and the shipping's free. Please go to my website and you'll see the available now on my homepage. Just click and go to the shopping cart. In addition, you can now download Improv is No Joke audiobook for $10. You can follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. On Twitter, my Twitter handle is at pmargaritas. Connect with me on LinkedIn by searching my name and on Instagram by searching pmargaritas. With that said, let's get to the interview with Greg Lanus. 
Greg, welcome back to my podcast. It's so good to uh, have the opportunity to have a conversation with you again. Thank you, Peter. I'm thrilled and honored that you asked me to participate. Thank you. Well, you're, the episode 22 that uh, we originally did, it's one of the top downloaded episodes uh, to date. I think it's like a number third position overall, and uh, it had a lot of great information because back in that episode, we were talking about networking for jobs, you know, how, how to find your next, your next job. But we're going to turn the conversation around a little bit today and, and talk about networking for business development. But before we get into that, we mentioned in the last episode that you networked your way into a book, a book called Flashback by Gary Braver. I got to know more about that story. Okay, Peter, whether your listeners will find this as amusing, <laughs> well, that's separate. That's a separate discussion. <laughs> but I, I guess it's all part of my makeup in terms of the way I acclimate, the way that I go through my day here at Robert Half. But in 1975, I was a sophomore at Northeastern University, and Northeastern is a five-year school famous for its cooperative education. My roommate, who also became a CPA, says to me, we have to take this English lit course, and it's on science fiction. And, and, and I said, why are we doing this? Accountants don't take literary courses as electives. He says, we're going to meet lots of women. I said, well, okay, I guess that works. You know, we're, we were two accountants. I mean, don't, need I say any more about our social uh, strength? <laughs> You're good. You're good. <laughs> now, the course was taught by a gentleman by the name of Professor Gary Goshgarian. And I stressed the last name because that is our Armenian descent. And Peter, as you know, you and I are both Greeks, so the, the alliance between Greeks and Armenians is very strong, a natural bond. So we take the course, and it was in the auditorium in Northeastern, which is one of the larger rooms available, and asked, you can ask, did we meet any girls? The answer is no. <laughs> did I actually get to meet the professor? The answer was no. But I did enjoy the course. Okay. So that was the last, I, of inter, any interaction whatsoever I had with Professor Gary Goshgarian. Now, I met my wife at Northeastern. One of, one of my other roommates met his wife at Northeastern, but there were a group of us that basically have become friends since the early 70s, and our friendship still maintains. One of that, of course, is the roommate that made me take the course. He also became a CPA. At our 25th college reunion, which... Northeastern's a five-year school, so in 1970 is when I graduated, so 25th year would have been 2003. I did that without a calculator, by the way. <laughs> You're good. So a group of us went, including my fellow roommate, the, the one that made me take the course, although he could not bring his wife. But my other, roommate, my other two other roommates bought their wives, and one of them is the spouse also for, from, as a Northeastern grad. Anyway, so my wife and I go. We arrived at Northeastern, and we expected to have a little more notoriety. We couldn't find the building. We found the building finally, and it was a very small room. And I stress that because in the 70s, Northeastern was actually the largest private university in the country. An unknown fact, but that is, that is accurate. We get into the room, and very poor attendance. And I said to my wife, because I'm an accountant, listen, we paid for the meal. We're, we don't have any, our, we're not with our children because we stayed over with, with our buds. And I said, as soon as it's over, we're out of here. As soon as the meal's over, we're out of here. Yeah. And I look at the program and the program guide, the MC was Gary Goshgarian. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct, sir. Hmm. Well, I see him walk, I, I, I saw right away when he came in the room, and I described to Gary later, you were like a fish out of water, and, and that nobody came over to talk to you, you were just standing in the corner, chewing gum, basically saying, when is this thing going to end? <laughs> so I said to my wife, oh, there's Gary, I gotta go talk to him. She says, don't embarrass me. I said, don't worry, I will. <laughs> so I strike up a conversation with him. And, and that stems from my ability to just 
talk to people from my previous episode of networking. And I, I stress that point for your listeners, not so much at all whatsoever to boast or brag because that's not what I wanted to do. Because the worst thing that happens is Gary just like, okay, get away from me, you groupie, whatever. <laughs> or, or he strikes or he's receptive to having me come up and talk to him. Well, that's what happened. We had a great conversation. He ends up having dinner. He sat at our table for dinner. So, and then, of course, my other roommate couldn't resist the reminder that it was he who talked me into taking the course. <laughs> All right. So, Gary had lived the entire presentation on what, how he, what he motivated or what motivated him to write the books. Now, there is a subscript to this, is that my freshman lit professor was a gentleman named Robert Parker. Now, your listeners may not recognize that name, but he wrote the Jesse Stone series that stars Tom Selleck, and he also wrote the books that starred in a TV show, Spencer for Hire, which wow. was one of his, he wrote a whole, a ton of books. Robert Parker subsequently died. Gary wrote the obituary, or the, excuse me, the tribute in the Boston Globe. So I think I may have been the only student that had both of them as professors. The same roommate also talked me into taking a Jack Levin course. On, uh, we took a statistics course in, in sociology. Jack Levin was always a guest on Larry King every time there was a ser or mass murders in our country. So I think I'm the only one that had all three as professors. Ask me my accounting professors, I can't remember, <laughs> but I remember those three gentlemen. All right, so post the, um, the, the 25th reunion, I start to call Gary or email him. And, and I, through, through the development or the culture, as we developed our friendship, I asked him if he could put me in a book. So wait, wait. What what was your professor's name? Gary Goshgarian. So Gary Braver is his pen. Gary Braver is his pen, pen name, name, correct. Okay. Okay. So your your listeners could go to GaryBraver.com. He tells the story that no one's gonna buy a book with the name Goshgarian, but they'll buy a book with Gary Braver. Huh. Interesting. He's quite the comic. He's really a remarkable human being. So I get in his book and it's called Flashback. And we're on page 115 in the hard copy. And I went out, and, and after we had this conversation, way before even episode 22, I went out and bought the book, and yes, gosh darn, you are there. And, and, and as I listen to this story, these words come into my head, and, and, and I, I do this all the time now, especially when I'm talking about networking. You just never know. You, If you had not walked up to your former professor at that reunion you wouldn't have gotten into the book. You, you, you had no idea that that's where it was going to take you. You had no idea, but you took that chance. You, 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 I, I like to say that you, you, you leaned into the opportunity instead of leaned away from it. And, and a lot of us uh, in networking, we tend to lend away. Um, it, it, there's some fear, there's some angst about versus leaning in. And as you said, he could have said, hey, kid, get out of here. Groupie, get lost. Right. Get lost. Get lost. Hey, groupie, get lost. Get lost. Or you can strike up a conversation. He's dinner with you guys become friends. The next thing you know, you're in a book. I mean, that's, that's ideal networking. I even got him to do a book signing in Connecticut. Oh, really? I, uh, I have an equity interest in a golf course and we have a, a pretty large ballroom and that we do weddings and everything else like that. So I called him up. I, I actually contacted the local librarian to ask her in, in our town. And she said, oh, Greg, this, we do this stuff all the time. And next thing you know, we did it at, the, at our golf course. And Gary came, the librarian came, really was the sponsor, if you will, of, of the program. And he actually had former students come. And it, it was so well-received. He loved it. And, and he had lived the whole speech. And people were in awe of his accomplishments. Just a remarkable human being. I, let, let's, let's, let's substitute a word, because would you say he ad-libbed it or he improvised his whole speech? Oh, improvised. <laughs> <laughs> 
wonderful work. <laughs> I hear I, when I hear every time I hear ad lib, as I, I my mind goes, they improvise it, but in a sense of improvise it. He has all the knowledge. He has it all in his head. He's formulated it right there on the spot. It's a thinking on your feet and, and reading the audience and pull, probably pulling stories based on how the audience is reacting versus some other stories that he, he might not have, he might not use at that point in time and save it for uh, for a different type of audience. So um, I, I assume that's that's what he was doing. He was just building this great story, this great speech around all these stories he had. Uh, which is which is a, a remarkable um, accomplishment for anybody to be able to do something quite like that. So let's turn this conversation and go down the path of business development because what I do know about you, you've been at Robert Half for a long time, and yeah. as I said, as I, I as I said in the intro. Uh, you're one of the first people to hit the, the the big gross margin number out there. You can't do that without having a strong network, without having strong networking skills. So, what's what would you say would be the number one thing? And l- let's say the audience is thinking networking. Don't talk to strangers. People are just trying to sell me something. I hate these kind of things. How do you? How do you get how do you get them past that? Peter, social media has changed everything. Whether it's Facebook, whether it's LinkedIn, whatever vehicle people utilize. So the trepidation is significantly reduced. But the fact is there's still trepidation. The easiest thing that I stress upon people, same thing as looking for a job, is just ask. But, but why is the ass so hard? Well, we're all, we all have, our, I believe, our comfort zone, and we are afraid to come out of our comfort zone. I just think in my experiences at Robert Half, where I have to do business development every day, I always look at it, what is the worst thing that happens? I may make a friend for life, which is tremendous, or I may meet somebody who it takes a heck of a lot longer to cultivate a relationship. But if, if I don't try, I'll never know. I think if you look at human beings, a child is more apt to be more open-minded than an adult. A child is born with innate abilities of creativity. An adult, I think they wane. It's easier to teach a child music, art, than it is an adult. It's easier to teach a child to learn a foreign language than it is an adult. So why is that? Well, we get so, I think we get so set in our ways and we get so structured that we're, we're afraid to do something different. It's at risk. It's, 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 you know, there's, there's a risk of failure by doing this. And, and you're right. You know, I, I think that you can teach a child almost anything, but once we get them into the school system and then the things that you can't do and the structure stuff tends to kind of kills a lot of that creativity, tends to uh, stop us down the road. Plus that inner critic who's there to protect us at times. Um, and, and I tell people, you know, when you look at, if you're in a business uh, environment, if you had an opportunity and it's business oriented, don't look at people at strangers. Don't listen to your mother because your mother always told you, don't talk to strangers. Those folks aren't strangers. Those folks there are opportunities and lean into that opportunity. When I look at what I've accomplished here at Robert Half, now, uh, Peter, I've always considered myself an average person. Average. Average athlete, average student, average, average, average. When I was growing up, I used to tell people that I was, I was the person whose every grandmother wanted their granddaughter to date, but I was the guy whose every granddaughter did not want to date. I was that guy, you know, the, the pants that came down to the shins, you know, mixed the, mixed the, mixed the styles, didn't know what he was doing. I was that guy. When I tried to grow long hair in high school, my hair, my hair went up. It didn't go down. So I found this was my calling and, and this is my stage. When I look back, when I first got involved with the Institute of Management Accounts, it was at Robert Half. The leaders had an alliance with the IMA, and they suggested we get involved. Well, if I have the support of my employer, I'm going to do it. 
because I like to give back to the accounting profession. And I started going to the meetings and I asked if you need any help in volunteering. Well, if you add value, then I didn't do this for your business. I did this for the accounting profession. And that's something I tell people all the time. If you're going to get involved with a not-for-profit, or it's got to be something you're passionate about, not something to just drum up business. Because people will judge you professionally by how you do something as a volunteer. And I always tell people, it's not, well, I tell people it's not what you do, it's how well you do it. Let your work speak for you, don't speak for your work. So I did a couple of things, and next thing they know, they, the next thing I know, they asked me if I would consider becoming president of the chapter. I did. My and that only prospered, and that's how I, and it led to speaking engagements regionally, in what in the New England region, and all the chapters in Connecticut, just by going to one meeting with the Connecticut Society of CPAs. I started playing in the golf tournament. And one of my contemporaries, a pillar in the Connecticut society, clearly, what, the, what this gentleman has accomplished and done is remarkable. He was on the golf committee, and he asked me one day, Greg, would you like to get on the committee? And my hesitancy, Peter, was, okay, great, what do I got to do? Like, the, no, I don't want to, no, I don't think so, I don't think so. <laughs> he said, Greg, we have fun, we raise money, and it's for a good cause, because we give scholarships. And I said, and his, and and. I, I said to the gentleman, you've been so good to me. His name is Charlie. I said, Charlie, you've been so good to me. I'll be happy to. So I did. And it's not what you do. It's how well you do it. Well, they found out I worked previously at ESPN. And what came up was it's very common to have MCs, sports dignitaries, whatever, to oversee the banquets at the golf tournaments as a, as a value to the participants. Well, I did, I got, I was able to obtain ESPN talent over the years to be the MC. I also raised money. I called my clients. Would you like to give to the profession? I got golfers. So it's not what you do. It's how well you do it. Next thing I know, I got a phone call to ask if I would like to serve on the board of the Connecticut Society of CPAs. I'm not in public practice. I don't practice accounting and industry. And when you look at all the people on the boards and that have been presidents before, they all excelled in industry or public. And ultimately I became president of the society and the main cog, the main proponent of my obtaining this was the same guy, Charlie. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's a, that's, I, I love that story. And, and let me just kind of weave a couple things here. One, if you've listened to episode 22, Greg talks about the story, but it's it's a powerful story on, I, I love what he says. It's not what you do. It's how well you do it. And, you know, that's, that's one of the big keys in, in, in networking because you may meet people, but it's how do you create that bond after the fact and, and what you've created just, just blossomed into this opportunity, like you, like you said, your background doesn't marry up to the backgrounds of all those other presidents uh, for the Connecticut Society of CPAs, but it, it was your ability to network your way, walk the talk. Uh, it's not what you do; it's how well you do it that took you to that level. And and if we think about that from a business development standpoint, I mean that's the key. Part of networking, I look at, it's also referring. And if you refer someone to a, um, a client or, or you or, or whomever, and that that person is not meant or it's not a good match, you lose credibility, and you you lose how well you do it. So yeah, that also comes into into play. And, and from Charlie's perspective, as he helped you along, you know he was referring you on up the, on up the ladder eventually to to the to the president of the Connecticut Society. That's all about the power of networking. Yes, it is, Peter. And what I realized is I needed to prove to, to, the, to the conventional wisdom the, the, that I was worthy to be the president because I was so far removed. So I considered myself Avis and that I had to work harder. Ah, yes. And, and 
so let me ask you this question. In in working harder and networking, do do you find yourself that you are listening more uh, and, and talking less or vice versa? Well, I think if you asked people I work with, they would say, Craig talks too much, he doesn't listen. <laughs> but I do try very hard to be attentive and listen to people. Because that's where you gain you gain a better understanding of, of where they're coming from. And, and so what, what happens? How, how, how do you, is there any tips or techniques that you can share on how you practice the art of listening? Well, I'm sure that everybody's heard this, but I think they need to be reminded. You're born with two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. That means you should be listening and watching twice as much as you're talking. I have never heard it put that. I've always heard the two ears and one mouth, but I have never heard the two eyes, and I love that. I can't. I didn't make it up, so I can't take credit for it. But I abide by that. And, and which I, I love that because when I'm talking about networking, I'm talking about also it's it's, it's listening and also listening with your eyes. Um, and, and a lot of times we don't listen with our eyes. We're, we're, we're overlooking somebody or looking around and it appears that we're distracted, which doesn't go to a whole lot of the credibility of, of this com- of having that conversation. That is correct. Peter, in, in my role now, for the most part, I deal with leadership within companies, controllers, CFOs, VP of finance, head of internal audit, et cetera. And I have minutes to get their attention, minutes, and either I add value or I just sound like another person trying to get into their, to earn their business, whether it be an insurance person, whether it be a furniture person, internet service, whatever, only I'm selling services that we represent at Robert Half. So, and once, and then when I get an appointment with, with the respective person, it's not about me. I often tell people I'm the doctor of careers, and the doctor will first ask about the ailment and ask what else is going on before he or she will prescribe the medicine. So I have to delve and ask questions, listen, observe, before I prescribe to the client what, or the prospective consultant, candidate, employee, what I think is the right course of action for that person. I love that. I love that whole story. You, you get one, you said, I have to earn their business. And two, it's not about you, it's about them. But I absolutely love you're the doctor of careers. And I love that analogy. I, I've never heard anybody put it quite like that. But that's exactly what we do is we're, we're, we're trying to do a diagnosis. And we can't do that diagnosis if we're constantly talking. We have to listen process, adapt, then prescribe. That's correct. Because I could, if I take the initiative, now the initiative is to try to get the person to talk first. But if I start talking first, I'm probably going to entertain superfluous information that will bore or be rejected by the client. And then I'm no different than anybody else. But if I have the ability to get him or her talk first and listen then I could become an extension of them and help them get their job done. And that's the goal. So let me, let me ask you this question. As a CPA, and let's think about the CPAs who are in practice, who are in business and industry, and very detail-oriented, uh, and love that, that data, I find sometimes that the, their listening skills are not as uh, as honed as like yours are because they're coming there with something to sell, provide or whatever. And I don't think they're taking time to listen to their client, whoever that internal external client is in order to, as you said, to, to figure out where the ailment is. And I think they they tend to fall short on that because it's more, it, it sounds like it becomes more about them than it is about, the client. So what tip can you give the audience to say, if you're coming in with an agenda, a service, a product, something, how, how do you help them park that agenda 
and focus in on them, not focus in on yourself? Well, I'm trying to make this universal as, a, as opposed to specific because each person has to determine what is it that makes them different from their nearest competitor? What is the value proposition that you're able to give to the company or to the client, the customer? You can't, you can't do that until you're able to determine from that customer or client what their pain is. So how do you overcome that? Well, most times I think you can get the appointment or the meeting with the prospective customer. But here's what I'll say. Ask your, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proposing this to your listeners. Do you ever start off with, rather than me pontificate about all the services I represent, I'd like to learn more about your business. What keeps you up at night? <laughs> What's preventing you from getting from point A to point B? I love that. I, I, I use that all the time. What keeps you up at night? So all of a sudden, your, your service industry, when we're in a service industry, if I'm not servicing, I'm not going to be in business. So I work for the, I work, I'm the vendor. I, I tell all my clients, I work for you. It's not vice versa. How can I help you get, attain your goals? So whoever your listeners are, whatever their place of business is, whatever they sell, whatever they deliver, are they servicing? Do they work for their customer or do they make the customer work for them? That's great. I, once again, Greg, you're blowing my mind here. Uh, as you did in the previous episode with, with are you working for your customers, your customer working for you? Um, that's that's a, another great networking quote that uh, I, I'm going to start using in my lexicon. Uh, and I will give you full 100% uh, credit for that. Uh, oh, Peter, you make me laugh. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm going to try to spread the name Greg Lanus around the country as I, anytime I do any networking, um, I, I will say this is from him. And, uh, and I, I think the title king of all networking could apply to you right now. Well, you're, listen, that's very kind of you, but no, I, I, I can't take that. The, as I said, I found my, this is my calling. And because of the way I was brought up, you know, all these things come into play and it all comes, what is the worst thing that happens? Yeah. So let's talk about the way you were brought up. I, I always say, people ask me, you're a CPA. Where did you get your communication skills? And I say I was raised in a Greek American household. Enough said. Enough yes, said. I, I, I was I was a bus boy at the age of twelve, uh, because that's the rite of passage of all Greek men. You got to at least be a bus boy at least one part of your early teenager years. And, and would you agree that's that's how you get, you get this gift of networking, of communication? I attribute my parents, and and to this now I lost my dad almost seven years ago. And to this day, everything that he taught me resonates in me. And, and when people ask me, who's my hero, I've always said my dad. My dad was a World War II vet. My father-in-law was a World War II vet also. But my wife and I have the same work ethic. And you know, I remember when I, was, I worked in an amusement park, I used to hitchhike to go to work, but it wasn't a bus boy in a restaurant, but there, there was a restaurant business in our family cause, because my parents are born in Brooklyn and my, my grandfather had a diner long before I can remember. But anyway, I, I just hustled and, and I tell people, and you follow baseball, when the pitcher walks the batter, what do most batters do? They drop the bat, they drop their glove and they just walk the first base. Right. I run to first base in everything I do. I mean, it's a metaphor, but I go after everything. And, and I think some of that stems because I made reference earlier. I'm just an average guy. And I don't, I don't mean, I don't hold myself. I'm just an average person who found his niche. And, and I think the values and the business morals that you are ingrained with as a child last a lifetime. I wholeheartedly agree. And I love that analogy run to first base. I just, I, I, I you know, uh, um, my baseball hero uh, was Pete Rose. 
I've kind of lost a lot of respect for him because of the lion and, and after effect. But when he when he was on that ball field, he ran everything. He ran to first base. Ran to yep. first base. Ran to second. Ran to, and if you remember the All Star game, the All Star game, he mowed over the catcher in the All Star yeah, game. Yeah. Ray Foss in the Cleveland, and that was and that was the end of Ray Foss's career. Right. Do you know? Now here's another baseball analogy. What is? And this was taught to me. What is the only thing you cannot teach a baseball player to do? I don't know. What's that? Well, you can teach them to hit. Yeah. You can teach fun. You can teach them to throw. You you can teach them to field. You cannot teach them to run. You cannot teach hustle. You cannot teach passion. Correct. Good point. And, and and in the essence of of this conversation of networking, if you can't, if you don't have the passion, then don't fake it. You, you you're not authentic. You you're, you're not you're not credible. And really, anything you do. There are people who go after the world, and there are people who wait for the world to come to them. I think, yeah. If you have ever observed whether you go to see a concert, you go an entertainer, a movie, and an and artist showing, whatever it is, somebody who's achieved stature in your mind, not just, not just um, wealth, stature. And if you ever pull them to the side and ask, what did you have to do to get where you are? I think you'd be shocked at all the the failures that they had in their life to get where they are. But when you pay to go see an entertainer or a play, a musical, whatever, you're paying your money and you want to see that performer at his or her best. But you have no idea how hard they work behind the scenes. But yet all that was part of their development to get to the stature that they obtained. And when you look at other people, there are some who, as I say, get to the cliff they get they work hard to get to the cliff, but they don't want to work harder to get to the next the next cliff. We are in a world where people want stuff, but they don't do what it takes to get what they want. Well, I've always said on the Avis, I got to work harder, and that hasn't waned for me. That you know that that's dead on point. Uh, it, it's it goes to the it goes to passion, it goes to drive, and. And it goes to accepting failure. I've been reading a variety of books uh, on public speaking, uh, and I, I don't remember which one this came out of, but I remember reading where someone was laying out the failures of Steve Jobs. Uh, I, I mean, he had pub- he had a public failure. I mean, he 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 was voted off of of, of Apple, his company that he started, and ultimately came back and took it to where it is today. The, the failures, you know. I've seen a number of quotes where they take Michael Jordan. If you know how many shots that he missed, but he keeps taking the shot, taking the shot. We only remember the ones that he hits. It's the it's the ability to accept the failure, understand it, and get better. Other question that pops into my mind that I hear from from people all the time is, well, what if I say something stupid when I'm networking? And it goes along this idea of failures. How do you respond to that, Greg? Ask me how many times you think I've, how many times <laughs> that's happened to me. I don't want to even, I, I can't even measure how many times. Oh, it's happened a great deal where you, you, when the evening is over, the function's over, the meeting's over and you're in your car. Like, oh, Craig, you moron. What were you thinking <laughs> saying that? Well, the first thing that I do say, if you're an event that is business and social, social business, food and alcohol are served. Stay away from the alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And I know we say this, but just stay away from it. And don't have an excuse so that you're not on your A game, that you could have avoided. So, all right, so when you say something that you regret later, well, you have two options. Hope the person forgets (laughs) what you said, or you reach out. And you apologize. That's very well said. And that's exactly. Yeah. If he said something really stupid, okay, own up to it. Apologize. Whether it's whether it's 
at the event or don't beat yourself up in the car as you go home. I, I would say is go old school, pick up the phone, call the person, see if you can connect. If you can connect with them that way, if not, if, if you get screened out or, or you leave a voicemail message and, and you don't hear back, then I would follow up uh, with an email uh, apologizing and then just let it go and just move on from there. Peter, I'll even go one step further. I agree with you picking up the phone. That's the first. That's paramount. If you can't get the person, don't wait a week. Do it immediately. In the world of handwritten notes, ah. that used to be the common behavior. Then, of course, email came, and all of a sudden, people looked at email. And then nobody, and now nobody does, or nobody prepares, or nobody writes a handwritten note. So, what is more, what is more compelling now, an email or a handwritten note? Uh, I, I'm a believer to handwritten note, but I, ha- I, I, I have been told, and actually I was doing a, a, a networking course for the Ohio Society of CPAs a number of years ago, and I, I was talking about this same topic, about take a moment, if you've met somebody, sit down, write them a quick, you know, nice to meet you note, a handwritten note, and, and send it to them. And this woman in the audience goes, if you send me, if you would ever send me one of those, I would probably throw it in the trash. And I went, okay, this sounds like a good conversation, let's talk about it. And basically, she came to say it's now a generational thing because that that card that I've sent to that millennial, per se, is cluttering up their desk where if I sent an email, then I can put it in my email folder and, and read it when I get to it. So I, I, I acquiesced and said, OK, I understand that. But what I did after that, because I'd gotten her, uh, the person's name and contact information, I, I sent her an email thanking her for participating in my class and, and for, for her insight. But I also followed up with a handwritten note, too. And she, didn't, and she didn't throw it away. She didn't throw it away. Well, I get so little mail. I mean, traditional mail, not email. Traditional mail that when someone sends me a thank you note, first of all, it's going to be in a smaller envelope. So as opposed to an appearance of a business envelope and it's, and, and the appearance clearly is not going to be of a marketing nature, but going to be something maybe more sincere. I read it right away. Yeah. I get so many emails a day. I'm no different than anybody else. You'd be surprised how many times I nuke something after reading the first sentence and I should have read the whole thing. Oh yeah. I, I think so, we all do that a lot. Well, yeah, but I'm guilty of it. If I'm guilty of it, I I have to pay the penalty for that. So I think the handwritten note has more power than an email. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Now, I've got a lot of handwriting. That's a whole other story. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting that, um, speaking of handwriting, just a a quick tidbit. My my son is now, uh, he's 16 going on 17. And... um, he had to sign something, and he, as he's doing it, goes, I wish they would have taught me better how to use cursive, uh, because it's really hard for me to remember, and, and they've gotten away from teaching yes, that they have. In, in school, because when you sign something, you actually write in cursive. Um, That's correct. But my handwriting's so bad. I, I could have been a doctor. My handwriting's so bad that that I print. There you go. See, that's great. That's that's a, you should be honored by that one. But regarding the thank you note, switching it around to your networking t- in terms of business development, let's pretend that you are one of several vendors that your particular customer is using or client. Yeah. Let's say you're one of seven. All seven come in and make a presentation. Well, chances are all seven are going to send a letter or a follow-up. But the normal course of the year where you may have communication with this client and you, whether it's a breakfast, lunch, or just go out and meet with him or her, do you ever send them a thank you note after each meeting? Handwritten note? Right. And then how many thank you notes does the client or customer receive as a matter of course of business via email? And I'm willing to bet the one that sends the thank you note may take longer to do, 
because it's got to be neat and you've got to compose it and you can't, you know, you can't erase or cross out on, in a thank you note. You can't do that in an email and et cetera. But which one will the customer or the client remember? And it goes back to what you said earlier. How are you different from your competition? And, and, and a lot of times it's just the little things that make us different from our competition. If we think about what probably everybody else is doing, then do something different to stand out. Now, I'm going to make a reference to a movie, which we all remember, is Wall Street. Yes. With uh, Michael Douglas and, oh, forgive me. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Okay. Charlie Sheen. Now, we all know about the ruthlessness that Gordon Gecko displayed in the movie. So let's talk about the beginning. Charlie Sheen, what, what did he do to get the meeting with Michael Douglas? Oh, you're killing me here. I don't remember, but I love the movie. He knew what his birthday was, and he knew that he liked cigars. Ah, yeah. Yeah. He did his homework. He did his homework and went the extra mile. Right. Right. Exactly. Now, do I, do I suggest people do business with a Gordon Gecko? No, I'm not going. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is that look how driven Charlie Sheen, well, the, the actor, the, the character was portrayed to earn the meeting. Right. So we all, now, granted, it's a movie. It's not real, but yet the principle is real. Exactly. Uh, it, it is. And how are you different? Do your homework. Be driven. Be passionate. Accept no. Be, be sincere. Because if you are, are what I call plastic, you camouflage what your true interest is, that will be short-lived. I, I look at every client relationship as a war. And every transaction is a battle. And one thing, I'm greedy. I'm a capitalist. I want to make as much money as I can. I want to complain about paying AMT. <laughs> I, I want to complain about that. But the point is, here's what I tell everybody I work with. If you put the client, your candidate, consultant, employee, call it whatever you want to refer to him or her, and Robert half first, and your wallet last. You may lose the transaction but you will, or the battle, but you will win the war. If you put your wallet first, where that guides you through your decision process, it's going to skew it negatively, but you may win the battle, but you're going to lose the war. Right. So when, you're, when you are out there asking or developing, we keep using the word passion in, in this conversation, mm -hmm but you've got to be genuine and sincere and the client will pick up if you're phony. Yeah. So service the client, earn their right to do business with them. You know, Greg, I learned a lot from our first conversation that we had a while ago. Uh, I I've learned even more today. You, 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 you just have so many great pieces of advice and, and some of it might be old school, which is fine, but which is still, but it still works. Hey, I'm old. I'm, <laughs> I'm an old guy too. And you went to school. Um, That's right. But you know, the, they're still relevant today. And I know my audience will take this knowledge that you have given them and, and run with it uh, in order to, to make their businesses grow because that's, that's, that's the key there. And, and if they're new to business development, take these tips and, and use the, the knowledge that Greg has shared with us because it works. Uh, it, it absolutely works. And, and Greg, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your, out of your day because I know it's a very busy day because I can hear the office in the background buzzing and humming and going um, to, to take that time to, to share your, your knowledge with my audience. I, 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 I greatly appreciate that. Peter, I was thrilled when you asked me the first time. And, and if you remember that beer commercial, it was, I believe a, a light beer of some nature. They had all athletes in the picture and they had this non-athlete in the picture and the non-athlete said, I don't know what they want me doing here, but I'm happy to be in the picture. <laughs> and, and I, and I, when you asked me to do that, I said, well, I'd be thrilled, but I don't know if I'm going to, if you want me to, I'd be happy to, but I love doing it the first, I love doing it the first time. 
and I thoroughly enjoyed doing it again. And and hopefully, it's not the movie where the sequel is worse. You know, <laughs> or, or like no one's going to go listen to it, or no one's going to go see it. But I'm flattered, and I mean that with, with the most sincerity that you asked me to do this. Well, Greg, you're more than just an average guy by far, and I, I the sequel. Um, well, I think I pretty sure will outperform the original one and I, I enjoy our conversation and I look forward to our next one because I will have you back on again in, in, in the future. The topic, it's what you know and maybe take it from a different perspective, but I can't thank you enough. Uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed our conversation. I know my audience will uh, enjoy it as well and I look forward to our next. Well, thank you. And Peter, I'm going to give you a plug because what you're doing is remarkable and I hope that your audience only expands. But I will tell you every week I read your your tip of the week and I hope that others read it as well. Uh, thank you very much, Craig. I, great, I greatly appreciate that. I would like to thank Greg again for taking time out of his schedule to give us his thoughts on how important networking is in growing your business. Remember, are you working for your clients or are they working for you? It makes a big difference. In episode 53, I interview Kathy Passion, who's the executive director for the Central Ohio Diabetes Association. This is a very insightful interview that discusses the warning signs of type 1 diabetes and the latest research on finding a cure. Thank you again for listening, and remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you grow your business through networking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.